0: Sunday school teachers and one of the leaders of our young couple's class. Let me begin reading the lesson uh, today from First Kings, chapter 19, verse 4. We are talking about Elijah. But he went himself a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree. And he requested for himself that he might die, and he said, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am not better than my fathers." And as he lay and slept there under a juniper tree, behold, an angel touched him and said unto him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a cake baking on the coals and a cruise of water at his head. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time, and touched him, and said, Arise, and eat, because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose, and did eat, and drink, and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights unto Horeb, the mount of God. And he came thither unto a cave, and he lodged there, and behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind rent the mountains, and break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind an earthquake. But the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake of fire, But the Lord was not in the fire, and after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it, that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? Elijah. And he said, I have been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts because the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, slain thy prophets with the sword. And I, even I only am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And the Lord said unto him, Go, return on thy way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when thou hast come, anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi shalt thou anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha the son of Shaphat thou shalt anoint to be prophet in thy place. Amen. May God bless to our understanding this reading from his word. Today is Memorial Day, and I can remember as little boys selling poppies and buying poppies on November the 11th, which was called Armistice Day. For 58 years ago this fall, on November the 11th, 1921, the unknown soldier was buried in Arlington National Cemetery. Many individuals and organizations of all kinds brought and sent floral leaves and offerings for his burial. There were 100,000 persons who attended the service. There were expressions of profound appreciation for the supreme sacrifice which had been made. There's no way of knowing the family, the race, the political party, or the religious convictions of the unknown soldier. He was selected by Sergeant Edward Younger when he walked forward stately and smartly in a military manner and placed a rose on one of three caskets of unidentified dead. And thus the unknown soldier has become a symbol for all the soldiers dead. And we look upon him as one who is buried there in honor and glory, known but to God. And since that time, many other unknown soldiers have been buried because other wars have been fought. And those of us who look at America and think about the great price that has been paid for its liberties and freedoms, especially are humbled to think of what God has done for us and how we have so often trampled his gifts and his goodness in the mire of our own selfishness and lack of discipline and lust and greed. And we wonder sometimes how long The Lord will put up with this. When we think of this, we think of our own lives as individual Christians and are tempted to say, what can I do? I have to run a small business or I am a teacher or I am a doctor or I do something else. I'm a housewife. How can I be responsible for all that goes on in the land? The land is made up of individuals. And God is looking for individuals whose hearts are open to him. And he speaks to those individuals. And he brings to them courage even when they are frustrated and discouraged. And so the argument today will be how God speaks. How do you turn a nation around? Even when you're not a great and powerful man, but great and powerful men. Often become discouraged in their work. This is one of the important lessons that we learn when we read about Elijah the prophet. One of my friends asked me a year or so ago if I could name for him two men in the Bible who said to God that they wanted to die. And I could name them for him immediately. They were Moses, and they were Elijah. These two men, both in rigorous loyalty to God, got to a place of utter spiritual exhaustion and frustration in dealing with a rebellious people and wanted God to take away their lives. Elijah is a towering figure of grandeur. There's nothing like him in all of the Old Testament. And when you study him, he is, by the way, the most quoted of all of the Old Testament prophets in the New Testament. You remember when people were seeking to know who Jesus was. Some said he is Elijah. There was something about Jesus that reminded them of Elijah the prophet. Now, Elijah, we do not know where he came from. His name is called Elijah the Tishbite, but nobody has ever discovered where Tishbe is from, so we're none the wiser for that. All that we know is that all of a sudden this strange, weird-looking creature appears at a time of apostasy when the northern kingdom of Samaria has trampled God's Ten Commandments into the mire and a weak, spineless king named Ahab has been guilty of marrying a Jezebel who is more militant in her sensual, lustful faith and in her debauchery and idolatry than her king is for his faith in the one true God, Jehovah. And so the prophets are persecuted, and the commandments are disobeyed, and the altars of the Lord are thrown down, and God raises up a man, and the man is Elijah. One day, this strange-looking creature comes out of the desolate parts of the desert and looks at Ahab at his court and tells him that there will be no dew nor no rain upon that country except by his word. And just as suddenly, he disappears again. And sure enough, the dryness begins to set in. The blaring sun comes up like thunder in the morning, and it begins to burn everything brown, and the heavens turn like brass, and the earth becomes dry as a potsherd, and the cattle moan because there is lack of water and food, and drought strikes the land. For this unusual man, when he prays for drought, drought comes. Later he will pray for showers of blessing and water will come. But here he prays for drought. He thinks in his own heart that if the judgment of God is exercised upon these people, surely they will turn to him. And so drought comes. And then in that magnificent chapter... Where Elijah calls in the 18th chapter of the book of 1 Kings for a great duel to take place between the prophets of Baal and Ashtaroth. Ashtaroth is sensual, like the playboy philosophy and the sensualists of today. Baal worship is ugly and despicable. Together 850 prophets appear and priests. And Elijah challenges them to a great duel at Mount Carmel. And there is a sacrifice that is placed upon an altar. And Elijah makes his famous speech to the people and says, How long do you go on limping between two opinions? If Baal is God, serve Baal and go to hell. If Jehovah is God, then serve him and get rid of this other stuff. The God who answers by fire, let him be God. And the people agree. And so you know the story of how those who worshipped Baal, the Baal priests, came forward resplendent in their robes and with their ornaments dazzling in the sunlight and called out to Baal to send rain. And they pleaded with Baal. But there was no rain. There was no cloud in the sky. By high noon the sun was burning hotter than ever. And Elijah, who was always in a passion of some type or other, is in a great passion here of sarcasm and ridicule, and he mocks the Baal worshipers. And he says, why don't you call louder? Maybe your God is on vacation, and you you can't reach him. Call louder. And they call in frenziness, and they can't do any good. As the sun begins to set, they become more frantic than ever. They cut themselves until the blood gushes from them, and they cry out to Baal. But nothing happens. And then Elijah has his turn. And Elijah calls for all of the people to come near. And it must have been a very dramatic moment when the people drew near to listen to this strange figure with an undressed skin of an animal clothing his body in a sheepskin across him for a mantle. His long flowing white hair and his white beard. And Elijah tells them to watch him. And he takes 12 stones and he rebuilds the altar. This is where most often defection comes. Is where we do not pray and we do not really yield ourselves to the Lord. For the altar is meant for a sacrifice. But he rebuilds the altar. The place of prayer the place of discipline and sacrifice. And after he has done this, he tells them to go to the nearby brook and to bring water and to soak the sacrifice which has been slain and placed upon the altar. And I think it must have gotten so quiet that you could hear the water dripping off of the stones and falling into the trench round about. And then he makes his prayer. He makes his prayer calmly to Jehovah God and bam in a moment of lightning comes and hits the sacrifice and it is consumed and the water is licked from the trench and the earth around it is seared. Then he demands that these evil priests be slain and then he tells them go and tell your king rain will now fall upon the land And immediately there comes a great sweeping cloud and rain comes upon the land. And in that cloud burst that follows, Elijah runs to Jezreel. He beats Ahab there, but he, he has not reckoned with the fury of his sinful wife Jezebel, whose name is synonymous with all that's wicked in a woman. For Jezebel seems to be the only person who really is not afraid of Elijah. Others are fearful of him. These ancient Hebrew prophets embodied the conscience of their people. And they were often persecuted and hounded, as you can tell if you read the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. And it was no easy task to be a prophet like this. And so he gets word and the word comes to him very straightforward. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, and withal how he had slain all the prophets with the sword. And Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah, saying, Let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, his nerves were broken, and his courage fades. And he arose and went for his life. He fled for his life. And came to Beersheba, which belonged to Judah. And he left his servant there. And then in solitude he goes a day longer into the wilderness. And here is where his depression sets in. And he falls under the juniper tree and requests for himself that he might die. It's right after the greatest victory that we can often sense the greatest letdown. And here the letdown comes and the depression hits him and he wishes to die. And like some peeving, petulant child, he whimpers to God that he is the only one left that's faithful. There's no use anymore. Take away his life. And isn't it wonderful that the Lord does not always answer our prayers the way we want them answered? How many of us would be alive? here Elijah cries that his life might be taken away and then he is ministered to by one of those gracious angels of God I think a very human angel, the word angel angelos means messenger of God and those messengers of God may take many different forms and so this angel of God comes and realizes that this Man's body which is utterly exhausted from the fierce contest through which he has been has played its own pranks upon his jaded nerves and so he cooks something for him to eat and tells him to sleep and he sleeps and that's a good thing to remember when we become discouraged sometimes we may need to eat and to sleep, we may need rest. This is what happened here uh, with Elijah. And when this thing happened, and after it's finished, the angel comes to him a second time and gives him also food to eat and gives him an opportunity to rest. And after it, he goes to that mountain of Horeb. Now, the mountain of Horeb is the Mount of Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments. And you see, this is where the frustration had begun. The commandments of God had come and the people had trampled the commandments underfoot. Elijah had done all he could to restore it, but it was no use. And so he goes to the mountain of Sinai or Mount Horeb. And there in that mountain, he hides himself And this is where God brings a sort of Pentecostal experience to Elijah. There comes a theophany, a manifestation of the great power of God. It comes in the form of an earthquake and wind and fire. And I think that someone has put it right that all of these elements are in Elijah himself. The earthquake and the wind and the fire. Perhaps he thought that an earthquake, which often resembles an upheaval and a revolution, that there would be a change in the land might have taken place and the people might have seen all the harm that it had done and wanted to change and that didn't work. The fierce tornado comes and rips the big boulders out of their sockets and sends them plunging down into the valleys. And that's a demonstration of God's might and power. But God is not in that. The sheet of flame burning and searing everything comes. But God is not in that fire. What does it take to make people change? And Elijah has tried it all and is spent. And then he hears a still small voice. The still small voice of God. And that still small voice of God is speaking to him and saying to him that there are those who have not bowed the knee to Baal that still small voice is speaking to him that there is work for him yet to do and that he should go about that work. And Elijah will arise and God gives him the task of going from this great experience at Mount Horeb to anoint a man, Hazael, who shall be king over Syria. And God will use that as a great judgment that will be inflicted upon a rebellious people that he is to go and to announce Jehu, another person who is to be a king. Then he is to go and find his own successor, who is to be a milder sort of man than he is, a man by the name of Elisha. And after that, there will be a school of the prophets established. And God will use him in teaching young men the great truths about himself, so that they may be communicated later on. And so, even in these quiet years as a teacher working with young men, God is doing his prophetic work. Those who teach school and work with the minds and hearts of young people have a great task. This morning in Sunday school at the promotion thing, I was much impressed when I saw the care with which So many of our Sunday school teachers had worked on their charts and their programs in seeking to inculcate into young minds a love for the Word of God. For this will be very important later on. The Bible will speak. The Bible is one of those resources that speaks to us. Like an angel from God, the Bible will speak to help us. And we need to remember this greatly today. I can remember going into a hospital... A mental hospital where a young man was terribly discouraged. Where he did not feel that there was any hope or there would ever be any more usefulness for him. And how utterly pathetic he was. And I took my little pocket testament. And I read to him from the word of God, the 34th Psalm. This poor man cried unto the Lord and he heard him and delivered him out of all of his fears. The Lord encampeth round about them that fear him. And I told him, I can't write you a prescription for medicine, but I can write you a prescription to take this. And he took it and the Lord delivered him and the Lord strengthened him and his fears were taken away. The Holy Spirit speaks through the Holy Scriptures and has spoken through the Holy Scriptures down through the ages. Every time there's a gathering in this chapel, I am aware of the fact that the angel of God, through the Word of God, is speaking to the hearts and minds of people who come into the church. There may be some person who feels deep down inside that not even God could forgive the terrible thing which they have committed. And God's word comes with that gracious promise, Come and let us reason together, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool look unto me all ye ends of the earth and be ye saved and so that word speaks it speaks a message to that person the bible spoke to augustine we have in our faculty here a a man who did a distinguished phd at emory university in augustine and he can tell you that this arrogant brilliant Student of the university, university of Carthage who knew so much as far as knowledge of this world was concerned was a sensualist whose mother had prayed for him and who caused him to make prayers Lord make me pure but not yet because he was holding out from God And then one day in a garden, he heard a voice. And the voice said, take and read. Take up and read. And it sounded like the voice of a little child. But when he opened his Bible and he took it up to read, he read the words, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. Put on the Lord Christ and make no provision for the flesh. And he let go. And he let the living Christ take hold of his life and make him all over again. God spoke to him in a powerful and in a wonderful way. Someone gave me a tremendous book by Peter Marshall and David Manuel. And in this book called The Light and the Glory... There's a very interesting statement. It's a translation from some discovered journals of Christopher Columbus. It's authentic, and it's worth knowing about. Did you know what he says here? It was the Lord who put into my mind I could feel his hand upon me. This is Columbus writing. The fact that it would be possible for me to sail from here, from Genoa to the Indies. All who heard of my project rejected it with laughter, ridiculing me. There is no question that the inspiration was from the Holy Spirit because he comforted me with rays of marvelous inspiration from the Holy Scriptures. The Scriptures speaking to Columbus to sail on in the midst of adversity and trouble, and the Scripture still speaking to us today So it's important that our young people learn these scriptures. It's important that in church we know these stories of faith and we know the deliverance that God brings to these men so that we may apply it to our own lives. And then God not only uses the scriptures, but men who are changed by the scriptures. He uses them like angels. It's no accident that when St. Stephen was stoned to death, And Saul of Tarsus kept the clothes of those who were stoning Stephen to death. That the book of Acts tells us that the face of Stephen as he died was not like the face of any man, but it was like the face of an angel. And there have been people in our lives who have been like an angel of God to keep us from sin, to encourage us when we have been dispirited, and brokenhearted and did not wish to go on. And so we need to remember that we have the great opportunity of being an angel for someone else, for Jesus Christ. And I have some scripture for you on that. Jesus said, Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of these, the least of my brethren, ye have done it unto me, And there was an angel once that came and strengthened him, if you will remember. That angel in the garden of Gethsemane that strengthened him. Old John Duncan, Rabbi Duncan, who used to teach Hebrew at the University of Edinburgh way over a hundred years ago and is still cited and quoted in practically every pulpit in Scotland. John Duncan used to say that if he could be any other figure in all of Holy Scriptures, his preference would be to be that angel that strengthened Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane can you imagine that and so when we strengthen the fellow believer we are carrying out the work of Jesus Christ too and then if you study the pages of literature you find many examples of this I can remember from my high school days reading George Eliot's Silas Marner you remember how that greedy selfish individual so hard and callous wanting only money awakens one night to see the flaxen golden hair of a little girl near his hearthstone and how his whole life is transformed by the sweetness of that child and I can still remember taking English literature And I remember I didn't want to memorize the poem or even read Robert Browning's poem, Pippa Passes. And my blessed old mother in the Lord, Mother Moss Richardson, who had taught English for 50 years, took me into the sitting room one night after we had washed the supper dishes and said, Sit down. Let me explain this poem to you. And when I do, you'll love it the rest of your life. And she explained the poem to me. How the little girl in the factory in Italy had only one day in all the year that she was free from toil. And yet her blithe, happy little spirit on that one day when she had vacation, she wakes up early to take her little stroll and to enjoy her one day off And as Pippa goes by, she sings, God's in his heaven, all's right with the world. And the lives that hear the voice of that little girl, there is a man who is about to commit a sin with a woman that he has no business being with. The balcony reaches out over the little Italian street, and the little girl, Pippa, is passing by oblivious to the fact that anyone can hear her singing God's in his heaven all's right with the world but the man in the room by the balcony hears it and he stops and says I can't do this thing I won't do it and the witness of the little child saves this person from sin we need to be sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the Holy Scriptures speaking to us through individuals whose lives are dedicated to him there are some people in whose presence you want to live a better life Charles Dickens uh, not, I'm sorry not Charles Dickens Robert Louis Stevenson Robert Louis Stevenson in his later years lived out in the Pacific. And he met a a man from Scotland who was a Church of Scotland missionary. And he said to him, if I could only have met you as a boy, how different my life would have been. His life would have been changed by the power of that man. And then above all, we need to think of Jesus Christ and the fact that he comes to us last week we were studying about how Christ comes to us in the circumstances of life how he comes to us when we're broken hearted over our own selfishness when we look inward and we need to think about those things and you remember we illustrated it by saying that Jesus came to the disciples in a storm he was up on a mountain praying And he could see that his disciples were in trouble in the storm. And he came to them. Do you remember how frightened they were? Some of them looked out into the dark and they cried out, It's a specter, it's a demon, it's a ghost. And Peter said, No, no, no. It's the master. And Jesus brought to them his peace in the midst of the storm. I could tell you of a woman who went to a hospital and saw her husband all but dead, having suffered terribly with two little children, and on the way home in the car, crying her eyes out, coming to the house and falling upon the bed saw that same Jesus coming out of the storm and saying, be of good cheer. Take courage. It's going to be all right. And he delivered her. And that same Lord Jesus has spoken to prophets. He has spoken to martyrs. He has spoken to saints down through the ages. Those saints are watching over us here today in Dresden, germany they they discovered a painting some years ago one of the most famous of all the paintings of a madonna and what they thought were clouds when they brushed away the dusts of the ages they saw were the faces of angels painted into those clouds by a tremendous artist and so it is that the angels surround us and we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses And Christ himself is coming to speak to us. If you read Paul's letter to the Romans, you will hear him cry out, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? He is frustrated with his own pursuit for holiness. But when you turn the page, you see him, Thanks be unto God who giveth us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. And so he comes. He comes to speak to us through scripture. He comes to speak to us through other individuals. Christ comes to us himself. And he'll come to you this morning too. If you'll let him. Let us bow in prayer. Our Father, when we think of our gifted nation, having been the recipients of such great bounty now being faced with shortages and now being taught that our standard of living will be not so high as it used to be help us to know that we need more than we need gas, we need God that we need to come back to you that we need to hear Christ speaking to us about the difference between right and wrong speaking to our families, speaking to the needs that exist in our communities and in our churches and in this whole nation in which we live. And so we pray that you'll speak to our hearts today, that we might rededicate our lives with saints of the past to live for your glory. I have no strength or goodness nor wisdom of my own But thou, beloved Savior, art all in all to me. And perfect strength in weakness is theirs who lean on thee. Amen. I would like for us to conclude our worship by singing the first.